Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Manash. Today's another AMA episode. That is, ask me anything. I love to answer your questions, and if you have a question you think is going to be of broad interest, send it in. I'll answer it live on the air. Send your questions to Victor at VictorJM.com. That's Victor at VictorJM.com. Aravi in Philadelphia asks, I'm a loyal listener to your podcast, and I greatly appreciate all the content you provide. I was given an opportunity to invest in college student housing in Valdosta, Georgia, adjacent to the state-affiliated university. Numbers look reasonably good, but as always, I want to look at these things with a skeptical eye. My question to you is, what are your feelings related to student housing as an asset class? I do invest in multifamily apartment buildings, but student housing is an area that I've not had much experience with. This particular asset has about 230 units and is mainly for students of the university. My concern is that this asset class might be a bit risky during this time since there's been significant upheaval with regards to the pandemic. Although parents co-sign their leases, this does not insulate from any risk related to schools being closed and these students not paying. I'd love to hear your opinion on this. I value your input and I feel you're well-balanced and provide an analytical point of view. Thank you, as always, for your contributions to the community. Well, Ravi, thank you for the kind words, and this is a great question. I've owned student housing since 2011, and generally speaking, I love the asset class. However, in the past three years, my perspective on the long-term outlook for student housing has changed. The pandemic and the upheaval of 2020 has merely accelerated a trend that was already underway. The problem with student housing is that it's facing multiple headwinds at the same time. The first is demographic. The number of university-aged teens is expected to decline over the next decade. This is simply based on the number of births in the U.S., Births peaked in the late 1980s and have declined ever since. This was the so-called echo boom generation. Not surprisingly, university enrollment peaked in 2011. This was a combination of the economic downturn that happened in the wake of the 2008 financial crisis and the peak number of births that occurred around 1990. This would lead to peak university enrollment about 20 years later. Now let's talk about the shift to online education. Even before the pandemic, a number of universities had increased the percentage of classes being offered online. If you look at many of the major universities, they've all increased their online programs. University of Texas at Arlington is a great example. It's a campus of 52,000 students, and they held 52% of their classes online in 2019. They were well prepared for the dislocation of 2020 when they were forced to increase that percentage to a much higher number. Generally speaking, we're seeing demand for student housing dropping each year. And when supply exceeds demand, you'll see prices fall for monthly rent. On large campuses, we've seen top-quality student housing renting at eight to $900 per bedroom. But in areas where demand has fallen, we've seen price wars and rents have dropped below $500 per month per bedroom. Parental guarantees help reduce the risk for individual students, but they don't solve the problem of excess supply and insufficient demand. So let's look at your specific case in Valdosta. This is a small campus. It grew from about 5,000 students to over 9,000 students at the peak. And from 2011 to 2015, student enrollment fell by 17%, and the president of the university reduced the number of staff on contract by 35 people. According to articles I read, many in the community started to question the long-term viability of that specific campus. That's back in 2015. Remember, Valdosta is one of 26 institutions that make up the university system in the state of Georgia. If there was to be shrinkage in enrollment, it stands to reason that the smaller campuses would be eliminated. There would be an effort to consolidate and focus investment in the larger campuses. The enrollment crisis in 2015 in Valdosta happened at a time when there was no real crisis in the economy. 
no real crisis in education across the nation, and for that reason, I would consider that particular campus to be one of the weaker institutions with a higher-than-average risk of failure. The university is one of the major sources of competition for student housing. Valdosta University offers seven traditional residence halls and two apartment-style buildings on campus. About 90% of the students enrolled at VSU live in the residence halls on campus. The off-campus housing is merely handling the overflow that can't be serviced by the university's own on-campus housing. Now, I've not done a complete due diligence on the specifics of your deal, but when I look at the overall market for student housing on a national basis, and then more specifically in the Valdosta location, I'm not seeing the market conditions that would be screaming for me to invest. I'm seeing considerable risk on the downside and not much potential on the upside. The pandemic has only accelerated a trend that was already underway, and once the pandemic is over, nobody really knows what percentage of classes will remain online versus returning to live classroom instruction. We know that certain faculties like medicine, dentistry, nursing, require a high proportion of in-class instruction. But does history need to be in a lecture hall? How about a Bachelor of Commerce? And for that reason, I wouldn't be making investments in student housing in general for the next five years until we know how university education is going to adapt to the pandemic recovery. There may be attempts to mask the weakness through foreign student enrollment, but here too, we don't know how this is going to play out. So there's really four possible answers to a question, should I invest in student housing? There's a no, there's a maybe, there's a yes, and then there's a hell yes. And I would assert that unless the answer is a hell yes, you should raise the bar and make sure that every other answer to that is a no. Now that's just my opinion based on a quick look at the situation, but that's how I see it. I want to thank you, Ravi, for a great question. For the listeners at home, have an awesome rest of your day. Go make some great things happen. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. 